Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and ask that you would take each part of this service. Lord, let us remember to whom we sing these praises, and Lord, we're thankful that you are the solid rock that we can never uh, uh, fail depending upon you and your word. We ask you to bless the sermon. We ask you to bless the offering. Lord, each part of this service would be done to honor and glorify you. But, Lord, we want to make a special prayer for the time of invitation that we would not just sit in seats and listen to the sermon and give mental assent, but, Lord, that true faith could be built in the heart of each one here today. We ask for your blessing that we may praise your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by his works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, And he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Uh, our, our goal this year is to live as God's children, to live in the simplicity of faith, the simplicity that is in Christ. The things of this Bible, uh, I, I do run out of patience on many occasions with all of those that want to talk about how complicated the Bible is and how uh, incredible uh, no one can understand, and yes, there are there is more knowledge in this book than any human being can ever amass. There are things in this book that God put there on purpose just to teach us we're not as smart as He is. But you know, I've never met anyone complaining about how complicated the Bible is that was willing to do the simple things that even a child can understand. And that's our goal this year for our church is to get back to that simple childlike faith that God wants us, the Bible talks about us, having that we're not, as Ephesians talks about, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. People uh, change things that are in the Bible. There's always some new thing that is being offered. But we have to understand that if we are going to have that simple childlike faith, if we are going to 
shed the complexity and the intricacy in inter um, the very uh, intricate things of life that we also are going to have to get rid of the fact that we are the ones that make the final decisions. You know, one of the neat things about being a child is that most of the important decisions of life are made for you. I know we live in a terrible world and sometimes little children, 10, 8, and 10 years old, have to worry about where their next meal is coming from. And they have to go out and try to connive some way or, or invent some way that they can have food to eat. And that, that's a terrible situation. It's wonderful in a godly home that the father goes out and does the work and provides for his children and that that child doesn't have to worry about those things. I remember a preacher one time, he said, I had a drug problem as a child. Some of you know where this is going. He said, every Sunday morning, my parents drug me out of bed and drug me down to church. And every Sunday night, they drug me to church. And every Wednesday night, or our midweek is on Thursday, he said, uh, they drug me to church every time the doors open. He said, now I'm a preacher. He said, I guess I got a drug problem, right? And, uh, oh, that that would be the kind of drug problems you have. Uh, I've often tried to, and this is not going to be a Father's Day sermon because I didn't get to preach last Sunday, but I've often tried to uh, help people get a hold of what being a parent is. Being a parent is making a big deal out of little problems when your children are little. So that when your children get big, you don't have to pretend the big problems in their lives are little. That, that's what goes on today. Because you won't make a big deal out of uh, um, oh, we'll pick on Andrew this morning. Andrew not eating peas when he's two. Then when they get older and can't make decisions concerning drugs and immorality and all of this, then you have to pretend that those problems don't exist. It's a sad world. But parents, I'll tell you this, if you'll be involved in the lives of your children when they're little, they'll allow you to be involved in their lives when they're big. And... Our text today is talking about faith. You see, God wants to be involved in our lives. God wants to take from us that burden of what we call self-determination, trying to figure out what I am supposed to do with my life. I want to challenge you that God has a far better plan for your life than you could ever dream up. God has far greater things that He would like to accomplish with your life than you could ever imagine. But you have to do it God's way. And that's what faith is. And as James is 
dealing with this issue, I cannot help but my mind just travels back to certain things that I've learned in history. Uh, Martin Luther, when he was translating his Bible into German, he is often uh, considered a great, quote-unquote, hero of the faith, uh, not at this church. And here's one of the reasons why he's not, is he did not want to translate James chapter 2 and put it in his Bible. You see, Martin Luther was raised in the Catholic religion, in the Catholic faith, and in the Catholic faith, your salvation is a result of your works. You have to do enough good things to earn God's grace and favor. Uh, That's not in the Bible. And yet Martin Luther, though he claimed uh, solo scriptura, only the Bible and faith in God alone and and all of these things, could not understand this very plain passage. You see, we have lots of excuses, and the excuses that are mentioned here are still going on today. Let's look at them. Let's go back here to... To um, verse 18, James makes a statement that faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And then in James chapter 2, verse 18, we start with the excuses. A man may say, thou hast faith. Uh, I'll tell you what, I don't think I've ever gone out passing out tracks where at least one person says, I have my own religion, thank you. You see... People are still using the excuses that are in our Bible. Thou hast faith. I I have faith. I believe in God. And we'll get to that one in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit here. But they'll say, I I have a a faith. I have an approach to God. I'm, I'm a Christian person. What's the next one? And I have works. I remember talking to a person many years ago. Never a member of this church. Never connected here in any way. But... Uh, I said, listen, uh, if, if my works, if the things I haven't done for God are enough, aren't enough, tough. And my thought is, yeah, it's going to be tough, but not on God. Only on you. You see, people say, I have faith. I'm fine. Don't bother me. Don't you give me your religion. You know, we, we live in a world where people say the problem is religion. And... Uh, I would say you just need to add one adjective to that and the statement would be actually true. The problem with the world is false religion. True religion, believing in God, has never caused one problem except for those people who don't want to believe in God. Those are the people that true religion causes problems for. And so, the one group says, I have faith. The other group says, I have works. Look at all that I've done. Look at the good things. I mean, uh, you can't walk the streets of Astoria without meeting your friendly uh, uh, collection of uh, Jehovah's Sicknesses, I call them, uh, walking around and selling their literature and doing all of these things. It's tragic. They believe that Jesus is not God. Without that, you cannot be saved. They believe He is the highest created being. 
That doesn't count. According to the Bible, you must believe that Jesus is God. Amen? The Bible is very clear. Jesus was very clear. But I'll tell you, there's many of us sitting in this room that don't have as much works as our local Jehovah's Witnesses do. Does that mean you're unsaved? Well, wait a minute. Let's get the text here. Works cannot save you. Faith alone cannot save you. And then the ultimate excuse, the ultimate statement that everyone uses is verse 19. Thou believest that there is one God. We all believe in the same God. Somebody tells me that, I look them right in the face and I say, no, we don't. We do not all believe in the same God. There are differences in the gods that people believe in. The God of the Catholic Church sent His Son, Jesus, but without Mary's help, Jesus would have never made it. Uh, I'm sorry, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's a Jesus that has been invented in the imaginations of men who wish to worship Mary. There, there's a, the Protestants, and people say, well, isn't this a Protestant church? No, the Baptist church is, the real Baptist church is not Protestant. Because in order to be Protestant, you have to at once been a Catholic, part of the Catholic church, and protest against it. That's where the name comes from. Uh, Baptists have never protested that they were once Catholics and they wanted to change the Catholic Church. Uh, Baptist, we're against everything that's not in the Bible. Amen? Uh, we were persecuted by the Catholics. We were persecuted by the Protestants. And by everyone else that has hated God over the years. You see, just because you believe in one God, I hate to put it this way, but this is what the Bible says. You're now as good as the devil. Amen? Amen. You, you, you have now risen to the level of faith that the devil has. How many are glad about that? Don't put your hand up. I, I hope you're not. I mean, that's not a good place to be. It says the devil also believe and tremble. devil knows that there is only one God. He's never had a, uh, a second thought about that. He's never fallen for this. Oh, we pray to the God of Israel and the God of the New Testament and, and to Allah and the Great Spirit. That's blasphemy, my friends. That's taking the gods of the imagination of mankind and trying to make them equal with the God of the Bible. Don't do that. There is only one God. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament is the same God. The God of Abraham and the God that we sing our songs to today is the same and the only true God. I would hope that you would have enough understanding of the Bible. And I'm not trying to be... uh, unnecessarily offensive this morning. I do understand that some of the things I say may may offend some people. And that's not my goal. 
But my goal is to help you to understand, in spite of the offense here, that you have only one alternative if you are going to have faith in the God of the Bible, and that is to turn from all the other gods of man's imagination and trust only in the message of this book called the Bible. That is your only option. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And if you're, we're here for Sunday school, we kind of answered that question. People love to ask, well, what about, read the story of Melchizedek. You know what? God is always everywhere doing his work. And sometimes we don't understand, nor do we need to understand anything except this. Stop worrying about what's going on in the world and start being real with what's going on in your own heart. If you're not honest there, nothing else is going to matter, my friend. And that's what James is trying to do. He's trying to take away our excuses and he's going to hone in on this idea, on this truth that faith and works go together. And so we come here in verse 20. It says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Look at verse 17. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Now he gives us an example. He's going to illustrate this point. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Now, how many of you remember the story? We just went over it a couple months ago uh, in April, I believe. The story of Abraham and Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. God shows up and, and speaks and Abraham answers and God tells him, I want you to take Isaac, thine only son, Isaac, and offer him for a burnt offering on the mountain, I will tell thee of. I mean, these were strange words coming from God. But let's take a moment. You should only need to turn a few pages back in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And again, I want to remind you, if you want to understand your Bible, let the Bible tell you what it says. Uh, the Bible will explain itself very thoroughly. Verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Now, here's what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Abraham believed that when God came to him and said, I want you to offer up Isaac on an altar, that God would bring Isaac back to life. Read the Genesis. He says, I and the lad are going to go yonder and worship and return unto you. You see, 
Abraham had enough faith to believe that God does not contradict himself or his word. How many of you remember before you were saved? Oh, the Bible's just a crazy book full of contradictions. Oh, I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard that. I'd be a very rich man. Uh, And my answer is always the same. Uh, Why don't you show me one? If the Bible is so full of contradictions, how about, how about you show me one? I've been full-time studying the Bible since 1982. I haven't found one yet, but if you're that smart to find them, how about you show me a contradiction? Show me where God contradicts himself. He doesn't. You see, the only contradiction Abraham could find was that God promised that Isaac would be carry on his name and his seed to many generations. And so if God wanted Isaac dead, then God was going to bring Isaac back to life. It was just that simple. And he received him in a figure, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Isaac was as good as dead. He was bound. He was laid upon the altar. And God stopped him before any harm came to Isaac. And we don't have time to preach the whole sermon this morning, but I I love this truth. Abraham's eyes were opened. His heart was opened. And he, of all the Old Testament saints, understood what God was going to do to save us. That it was going to be God's Son. But there would be no substitutes on that day because God's Son was the substitute for all of us. He was the one who would suffer the pains of death. And yet, we go back to the book of James, and it tells us that Abraham's faith was made perfect through his works. Now, how did that happen? Abraham got up early in the morning. He took Isaac. He took the fire. He took the knife. He took everything that he needed. He made the three-day journey. You know, we've gone out on our uh, bike hikes here with the church. That's usually just uh, maybe late morning, early afternoon, uh, five or six hours. Uh, Our first one was 50 miles. And uh, that took two days uh, to go 50 miles on a bike. But how about walking for three days? All the time knowing when you get there that you're going to kill your son and God's going to raise him from the dead, that's still quite a traumatic experience, is it not? You see, Abraham just simply believed God's words. God's not going to ask you to do that. Because... Abraham painted the picture of redemption. Jesus lived the picture of our redemption. And no act by any human being, no matter how wonderful or how good, is going to enhance that in any way. We have everything we need to understand what God did to save us. Can we say amen to that? And yet I meet people all the time. We talk to people. We pass out tracts on the street. And we ask... uh, 
Would you allow me to talk to you about your soul? Would you allow me to talk to you about eternity? And people, no, 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 I'm okay. Are you really? Well, I had a guy yesterday as we were passing out tracts. Uh, he says, I, I read my own Bible on my own. And for some reason I just said, are you getting anything out of it? And he stopped and looked at me. And he said, that's none of your business. And then he thought about it for a minute. He said, I get more out of reading my Bible than Jesus did. And little Jason standing beside me and he said, Dad, what did he mean? And so I'm trying to explain to my son. I said, son, some people are just so stupid it just leaks out. You can't stop it. How, how do you do that? How do you get more out of the Bible than Jesus did? I'm sorry, I'm at a loss. Again, I'm not trying to be unnecessarily offensive. You don't know who I'm talking about, and I don't even know his name. I feel sorry for the man. How in the world could you do that? Jesus is the living Word. You see... The problem is, we don't want our faith to work because God might mess up our plans. That's the problem. If God faith will work in your life. He will change you, I promise you. It will only be for the better. Because God knows what He's doing. He took Abraham through all of that trauma. And when it was all done, Abraham said, now I know what you are going to do to save me. Do you think Abraham loved God more after that experience than he did before? I'll tell you, he did. He was called the friend of God. You know why he's called the friend? Because friends understand each other's heart, do they not? Isn't that the essence of true friendship? Abraham now understood what God was going to do to save us. Well, James goes on. Verse 24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Now, how many of you remember the story of the, uh, of the city of Jericho? They sent the two spies in to check the land. They were finally, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, after that entire generation that had disobeyed God and would not enter the land of promise, had died. Now their children were standing at the Jordan River, and they sent two men to check the first city, Jericho. And they came and were received into a house, and they found out that Rahab was a woman of very base character, a a woman of wickedness in her lifestyle. 
And yet, what did she say? She said, we know that God has delivered us into your hands. And she said, I want to serve your God. She didn't use those exact words in the scripture. But James is telling us that she had faith. And you know what her faith did? She hid the men in the, in the stalks of flax, flax uh, where they make linen from, on, the, on her roof. She gave them directions on which way to go and where to hide. I've had some people say, but Rahab lied and God blessed her lie. No, he blessed her faith. He forgave her lie, just like he did all the other sins that Rahab had committed. Amen? You see, Rahab had a son. His name was Boaz. And Boaz had a great-grandson. His name was David. And 14 generations later, David had a great-great, you put the number of greats in there, grandson. His name is Jesus. God took a harlot out of a Canaanite city and brought her into the covenant line of the Messiah. You want a picture of God's love and God's redemption. And why did he do that? Because she believed more in the God of Israel than she did in her king in the city of Jericho. That's how simple it was. You see, faith doesn't have to be a complicated thing. Now, let's read this last verse here. The last example that James gives, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Uh, I'm not a man that enjoys funerals. I don't know anyone that really does. But when it's a funeral of someone who is saved, it's not as difficult. My mother made me promise when she got sick, she said, now you're going to preach my funeral. And I said, as I often did through life when I was right with the Lord, yes, mom, I'll do it. And she even gave me the text. I don't let people pick. My sermons tell me what to preach on. But when my mom said, I want you to preach on this passage and I want you to have, have some songs, I said, Mom, I'm going to do what you say. And someone said, how did you do that? Well, it really wasn't that hard because my mother was the one that led me to the Lord. I knew where she was. My mother was not perfect. She was a human being. But you see, God is in the sin-forgiving business. Amen? And I know I'll see my mother again on the other side based upon her testimony of faith in Jesus Christ. And she suffered a lot in her later years. And so I am glad that that pain and that disease and all of those things are gone now. You see, when the body is laying there in the casket, 
That's all that's there. It's just an empty shell. It's a house that was lived in. And now the resident of that home has moved to eternity shores. And it's nothing but an empty old broken down house. One that would no longer serve the purpose. The Bible says that if you have faith that isn't producing works, it's just like a body stretched out in a casket in a funeral home. And you know, I think we got this phrase from television. Oh, she looks so natural. Don't say that at my funeral, all right? I can't come back and correct you. But I would hope that what's laying there in the coffin doesn't look like I do today. Amen? Are we together on that? I mean, I don't want it to be some hideous thing that gives you nightmares. Yes, I mean, that that's, goes without saying, but good night. I hope I look better alive than I do dead. Uh, how about you? Huh? Are we together on that? You see, we're given three examples and we're given three excuses here in this passage. The three excuses is... I have faith. Second excuse, I have works. Third excuse, I believe there's one God. Not one of those three things will get you into heaven alone. You have to have all three. You have to believe that there is one God. You have to have faith in the words of that one God. And that faith has to produce living works. And that's what salvation is. Amen? It's just that simple. Does that mean you will never sin once you're saved? What's the answer? I wish it did. But it doesn't. That's First John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, that's talking about the Apostle John. <coughs> Excuse me. But I want to take this passage that we have just walked through here and I want us to ask some simple questions. If you have one of our church tracts or ever have received it or read it, there are four words that we use in our invitation tract to help you understand salvation. These four words are used throughout our New Testament. You will never find a verse that talks about God's salvation that does not include one of these four words. Uh, Repent, believe, call, and receive. All four of those words help us understand what salvation is. You cannot get saved without doing all four, but you cannot do one of those four things without doing the other three. It is not steps. If I repent biblically of my sins, 
I bring my sin to God. If you bring your sin to God, why would you do that? Because there's nothing more offensive to God than sin. I would do that because the Bible tells me that's the only place I can get forgiveness. Does that sound like believing to me, to you? It does to me. Would I bring my sin to God and not ask Him to save me from it? That, that's foolish now, isn't it? And, and would I bring my sin to God, who is the only one that can take care of it, and not allow Him to deal with my sin? His way. How many religions are built on the fact that you have to try to take care of your sin? Everyone but the Bible. Here's what I want to ask you. Does your faith in the God of the Bible drive you to call upon the name of the Lord? And of course, here's what people say. I do that every day. Uh, Wait a minute. If my children came to me every day and said, Dad, what are we going to eat today? And then tomorrow, what are we going to eat today? You know something? There would have to be a problem of providing food in the household for my children to do that every day now, wouldn't there? If you come to God and ask Him every day to save you, what you're doing in essence is you are doubting what God said in His Word that He would save you. That's not faith. Faith is trusting the words of God enough to call upon His name once, believing that He will save you for all eternity. That's faith. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to miss heaven because, oh, I believe Jesus died to pay the price for my sins. I believe that forgiveness is only in Jesus. And, and, and I ask you to save me as long as I live a good life. Well, wait, wait a minute. You have to understand something. If Jesus is living inside of you in the person of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says happens the moment you get saved, can you just go out and commit every sin under the sun without worrying about God and His holiness? Tell you can't do it. Now, can people who are saved do horrible things? Read your Bible. David did some pretty rotten stuff, didn't he? You see, it's not about you. Faith is about God. If you're here today and you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you believed in God and He saved you, would you have enough faith in God to make you get in the baptistry and identify with the Savior who saved you? 
That, that's what we call a no-brainer. That's why there's no verse in the Bible that says, Thou shalt be baptized. It's understood. It's an act of identification with Jesus Christ. And by the way, uh, I've had many people over the years say, Well, you know, I was baptized here, there, or the other thing. I, I don't believe what that church says, but, I, you know, I got baptized. And no, we go back to the word authority. If you're going to be baptized the Bible way, you've got to be baptized the Bible way. And if you weren't, then you need to get it done. It's just that simple. Faith will drive you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Bible faith will produce a surrender to Bible baptism and church membership. I've met people say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in this church thing. Well, I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus believe in this church thing? He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The Bible says that he gave himself for the church. He said, the church is my body. You, you cannot believe in the Jesus of this Bible and not believe in his church. And by the way, everything that's called church isn't Jesus' church. Um, when we're faced with difficulties in this life, are, are we going to believe God? Or are we going to believe man? I've told the story several times. It's just a glowing illustration. Years and years ago at Cleveland Baptist Church, uh, I knew a man. He worked at a very big corporation. And his boss came to him one day and he said, You know, we've got some problems with the figures. They want an accounting of our department. And you're the guy that takes care of the ledger. And he said, I want you to change some numbers. And he looked at him and said, sir, I cannot do that. That would be lying. And the fact that the money isn't here is stealing. Well, you know what his boss did? He went into the office when this guy wasn't there and changed the figures himself and framed this guy. He was fired. And because of the allegations against him. The company believed the boss, who was the criminal, by the way. Uh, they didn't press charges against him, but they blacklisted him and he couldn't get a job anywhere in Cleveland. Now, let me complicate things. He had a special needs son who required very expensive insurance. And this is 30 years ago, not today. Special doctors and special care just so he could function and live. All of that was cut off. He didn't know what to do. He said, I remember talking to him. He said, just pray for me. He said, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I did know one thing. I was honest before God. See, that's faith. Well, it wasn't very long, not even a couple of months. There was another young family in our church that was moving to another state to start a new church. Uh, very similar to what's going on here right now. We praise the Lord for that. 
And uh, this guy went and talked to our pastor and talked to the preacher that was going to start the church. And he said, listen, he said, maybe I ought to just move and give you a hand because I can't stay here. And found out that that town that he moved to in this other state had a hospital dedicated to the very type of care, special care that his son needed. And God gave him a job and his family were living fine. And, and God worked everything out. And to, on top of it, the icing on the cake, he had to have a, he got to play a very large part in starting a brand new church, even though he was never a preacher, never would be. Isn't that a cool story? And the best thing is it's not made up. It really happened. Because you see, a man had faith in God more than he had in what man could do to him. Does that mean your story is going to turn out beautiful like his does? Uh, What do they say on the television? Past results are no guarantee of future results? No. Wait a minute. What are we talking about here? We're talking about the character of God, are we not? You want me to tell you why stories don't work out? It's because if we could go down deep into the details that nobody sees, we will find a rudimentary lack of faith. Because faith always, like the song, faith is the victory. Amen? Uh, I'm asking you, the Bible tells us here, uh, James is trying to help us understand that living faith produces living works. That if Jesus comes, how many times have I heard people say, well, listen, I can't believe in Jesus because I can't live the narrow way. And I said, excuse me, are you living the narrow way now? Well, of course not. Well, then how do you expect with your effort that you're going to live it later? You've got to have something more. You've got to have Jesus living inside of you. That's the only way. Somebody said, well, if Christians sin and unchristians sin, what's the difference? Well, here's the difference. A saved person has a point in time where they went to Jesus And believed what he said on the cross and trusted only in him as their Savior. One time. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. Because you can only be born once. But when a Christian sins, where do I go? Right back to Jesus. When an unsaved person sins, where do they go? Oh, if they feel guilty, they'll go to the mirror. And they'll look in the mirror and say, you dirty, rotten. I've met people that curse at themselves and try to make themselves. And you can pay hundreds of dollars to join a therapy session where you sit in a room and, and curse at each other because of the horrible things that you've done. Oh, it feels so much better. Really? Uh, I don't think so. If you want to feel so much better, here's how it works. You let Jesus take your sins away. All of them. Past, present, and future. 
You say, why would God love somebody that fails as much as I do? Uh, Because he's God. Amen? And because he sees more in you than you do. Because he sees a soul that was created in his image and marred by sin. And God loves to recall those things. And, And turn our lives around. Would you allow, what will you allow your faith to do? We we often talked about it. Faith is the most powerful thing known in the universe. What did Jesus say? Faith is a grain of a mustard seed would remove an entire mountain. Even in our days of nuclear weapons and all kinds of uh, uh, power out there, there's nothing that small that could destroy an entire mountain. But faith can. Jesus said it can. One grain of a mustard seed. If you want to know how small that is, go get you a jar, one of those packets of yellow mustard, and spread it out on a plate and see if you can see a grain in there. Uh, I'll tell you what, I never have been able to find it. I looked a couple of times just so I had my illustration would work there. And... Now, I, I like mustard on my Italian sausage and other things like that. But uh, it says, faith is the grain of a mustard seed. But faith does things. If it's living, working faith, it's going to do something. Would you allow faith... To drive you to your knees and ask God to save you. That's all you got to do. God be merciful to me, a sinner, was the prayer of the publican. Jesus said he went home justified. Because he allowed his faith to make him give up on the traditions and on the teachings and on everything he understood in life. And he just called out to God in his mercy and God saved him. You know, I remember years ago, we were looking at purchasing this building. And uh, Brother Clayton, Brother Marshall and I, we came out here one night, the end of a revival meeting in August of 1996. And we put our hands on that lamppost out there and the three of us prayed, God, if you'll give us this building, we'll use it for you. Well, he did. We call it the miracle on 35th Street. Don't have time for the story this morning. But I'll tell you what. I have never been so terrified in my whole life until I climbed the scaffold at Union. Uh, then, uh, then that was a different kind of terror. But faith was there each step of the way. If our church fails, it fails because we're not living by faith. If our faith doesn't work, it's because it's not that simple childlike faith that the verse Jesus was talking about here. It's a faith unknown to the Bible, a selfish faith that gives me what I want. That's the problem with the purpose-driven life kind of faith. It's a faith that's determined by what I want. Biblical faith is determined only by what Jesus wants. 
And I'll tell you, he's got a lot better taste than you do. He's got a lot greater wisdom than you'll ever have. If we could only surrender to Jesus, he will solve those problems. Your story will work if you have living faith. If you don't, you're not going to fool God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, my prayer is that each one of us here today, in these next few minutes, would just look at our own life and ask the question, is my faith working? Does my faith live? Does it produce biblical works? Does my faith Make my life obedient to the words of the Bible. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would be here to peel back the layers of deception and self-deception and allow us to see clearly and honestly. Lord, that we would not fall into some type of psychobabble introspection trying to figure out how we feel about things. But, Lord, that we would just keep it simple and childlike. Did I ever just surrender to God and believe that He would save me when I called upon His name? Does my faith drive me to prayer rather than to try to figure out the problem? Is my faith real enough to get me through the baptistry? Does my faith demand that I be a member of a Bible-believing church? Does my faith trust in God more than what man can do to me? Lord, help us that we may have this kind of faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as the hymn of invitation is played. As Leland comes and leads us in that song, if you need to come and pray, the altar's open. If you're here today and you want to be saved, would you just look this way as you walk down the aisle and we'll take the Bible and show you what it means to trust Jesus. Would you join those that have already come as we sing the song?